0: This is the EWN Radio Network.
1: Welcome to On The Record with your host, Astrum Lux-Lucas. Welcome to another episode of On The Record. I am your host, Astrum lux Lucis. This week's guest is a trained live music producer for Tom Jackson Productions. Her years of personal experience on stage, along with a multi-layered musical background, offers singers and bands an opportunity to rise above the average performance to reach superstar performance levels. She's sung in front of thousands in her band, Fighter, that was signed to the word label Wonderland. They released two albums, and her songwriting skills earned the band some top 10 contemporary Christian music hits. She's also released a solo project, Hit Me in the Heart. In addition to being an artist, she's earned the title of producer, arranger, keyboardist, session singer, and jingle composer, with well over 100 commercial projects under her belt. She's currently a live music producer that has worked with such Grammy winning artists as the band Perry and Lecrae, CMA and ACM winning country acts Gloriana and Thompson Square, the voice contestant Mary Sarah, CCMA winners High Valley, Jess Moskaluk, and Chad Brownlee, Dove Award winners Francesca Battistelli and Sidewalk Profits, and many more. Without further ado, please welcome Amy Walter. Hi, thanks for having me, Asram. Hey, good to have you. I'm eager to delve into your world because it seems like you've done so much and and uh I'm actually very fascinated by the whole um live music producer thing. And for those of you who may not really know what that means, it's basically kinda like a live performance coach. Um, somebody who works with your stage performance to help you look like a rock star instead of a shoegazer. <laughs> Is that correct? <laughs>
2: yeah, that's that's part of it. Um, it goes more in depth, but um, if you want me to talk about that now, I can, or we can shelve that to later. It just depends. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. I, I will say that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, first, I want to hear about how you got your start in the music business to begin with. Did you always have a dream as a little girl of being a performer? I mean, what was your – how did you get into this crazy world?
2: Well, um, I went to – I was raised in a church that sang a cappella all the time. And my my parents sang, and we were always singing at church, and so it was just a natural – Thing. I just you know I like to sing and got in, get, got into music a bit and um, started uh, joined a well kind of helped form a band in high school that was message driven faith based message driven um, more out of you know the the need to want to share share what you know our our faith and. Uh, Music was the vessel, and uh, I never had really a dream to, you know, be a rock star or whatever, but it was just more of a natural evolution. Um, Started out, I could, you know, sing and sing harmonies, but wasn't really a lead singer. Uh, When I got to college, kind of discovered my voice and then uh, would uh, sing lead in a a, uh, kind of a pop band that was, on campus Um, so the keyboard playing and singing started to grow and then was in you know just just was always in a band I guess since high school Um, crazy enough so yeah it's it's been a great journey and then the the last band uh, I was in fighter we we did it because we loved it and that's what I'm artists, now because of all the reality shows, everybody looks at um, wanting to be famous as opposed to, um, I'm doing music because I love it. And that's where people can get disillusioned a lot, I think, because they see the fame of it, but they don't want to put the hard work into it. And it is hard work. I mean, anybody that's been a musician knows it just takes perseverance and belief in yourself. And you just got to do it for the very love of it, because you might not ever get songs on the radio. You might not ever be famous, but um, you can you can you can play music for the love of it. And paired with what I do now. Uh, you can uh, we help artists do what they do and help and make a living at it um so even though the fame or the radio airplay might not be there there are still ways to do what you do do what you love and and be able to uh get an income
1: from it Mm Hmm. yeah now talk a little bit did you study music in college was that your degree or did you go in with something else
2: yeah no, I took music theory and I was in you know choirs and and this a, a smaller uh kind of rock band um it wasn't a music major, it was a pretty small school, so it was the kind of thing where I was taking classes that i liked and uh, along with photography and so yeah, I wasn't uh aiming for a music degree, but uh took a lot of things that. That I enjoyed at the time. I had the luxury of doing that <clears throat> at a small, small two-year college. So, yeah, it was good. It was good just to kind of help grow up. Since being from a small town, uh, just getting out of there. Not that my college is in a huge was in a huge town in Kansas, but um, it just it got me away from home, and you know, you just kind of get your get your bearings as to what you want to do next, you know, grow and grow up a little bit and get away from home. So yeah, it was,
1: it was a good
2: experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're, when the band fighter started having success, um, what was that like for you? I mean, cause it seems like you're, you're small town and then all of a sudden you're thrown into this big world. Um, well, what were it, some things you had to deal with?
2: You know, the, uh, the CCM, the contemporary Christian music industry, as it's called, is not a huge world. I mean, at the time it was bigger than it is now, but um, the record deal was just part of the journey. I mean, nothing changed in a huge way. I mean, we didn't get like a, um, a signing bonus or anything like that. It was just a vehicle. To get the songs out there, and uh we got some airplay and uh just raised our vi- visibility so that um it allowed us to uh to get better gigs and opening slots and festivals and things like that so um i always t- i try to tell artists too don't don't focus on the on the record deal and especially these days since the industry has changed so much they're not handing out deals like they like they once did. Um, so if you get a deal, fine. But if not, there's ways to still, you know, make music now. And in, in some ways, it's more, it's a little bit easier because of the Internet and um, YouTube and everything. It's easier to get uh, exposure, whereas back when we were doing it in the early 90s, it was, you, you it was a lot more work basically so
1: and did you have to take on a role outside of being in the band to help with the success like were you doing other things like any kind of marketing or PR and anything that kind of right. led up to you know
2: yes um i actually was book in charge of booking the band um and um so you know, that was that was part of my role uh we we didn't really we weren't at a full time status yet so everybody was working kind of flexible jobs to allow us to go and you know do gigs or take off you know take off time to tour and things like that so that was a a great thing that you know we didn't have to rely on um our gigs to to make a living. We were, we were just getting to the point where, all right, now we we could go full time here because we've got the traction and um, and then some some personality things kind of life gets in the way. You know, kids start coming to some of the band members, and then somebody doesn't want to tour as much, and those are the things that. Will break up most bands um, mm-hmm. is the internal struggles of of all that, what goes on behind the scenes. And um, so, as opposed to, you know, it's not the, really the rock star things much as it is internal struggles that you deal with, um, making decisions together as a band and on direction and all that. So, it happens.
1: how did you react when things happen like that? Cause I know like for me, it's always, it's a disappointment because you, you know, you work with some people and you develop a sound, things start to happen. And it seems like just as you're getting out the gate. Here comes that personality, internal strife thing. And you're right back, you know, where you were. And it's almost like, you know, it, is this a sign to keep going, or what should I do here, you know?
2: Right. Well, a couple things happened. I mean, my husband and I were in the band, and uh, when we realized we weren't going to be a band anymore, it was really a shock, and we, he and I weren't ready for it to be over. And in hindsight, there were, you know, we could have made a person one, you know, replaced – someone and gone on but it was kind of like we were so used to the five of us it just I don't know well that coupled with the change in the music scene we were a kind of an arena rock band uh, stylistically so you know then along comes Pearl Jam Nirvana and, and you know all of a sudden it was alternative, you know, this whole turn of the music was happening. So I don't know if we'd have stayed together, if we would have morphed musically or, you know, kept doing what we were doing and then it would have died anyway. Um, So, yeah, that was, that's kind of a question that I think about, you know, had we stayed together, would it had have been come to a head anyway with the musical direction?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The '90s messed up a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Including our hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened to my big
2: hair?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it had to
2: come down. <laughs> yeah
1: and we had the dress a little different you know a little sloppier yeah (laughs) yeah a little
2: grungier
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah so then so what was next then so you know the band kind of just disassembled and um is that when you decided to do the solo project
2: yeah i was uh, uh our label had a an option um to do solo projects on myself and the other the male lead singer, um, so I went for that. Uh, put out a solo record that next year, um, and uh, and as it was coming out, we decided to move to Nashville uh, from Iowa where we were all based at. Um, just because if we're going to keep doing this music thing, we might as well get to somewhere where there's a more of a musical climate, uh, and access to players, publishing, all that. So we made that move. Um, then in the midst, <laughs> in the midst of the record coming out, we realized or we found out through our radio guy that the label was not going to promote it because they were going to fold the fold wonderland. Um, and not do any promotion on, on the CD. So we went to the radio guy and we, we bartered to get, you know, to get the product they were going to send out to radio and took it upon ourselves to to uh, get it out there. Um, so, yeah, then it, the the record didn't do much because of that and because, I had some meetings with the label in terms of maybe moving forward with something. And they're just kind of like, well, they didn't want to say you're too old, but that was (laughs) kind of the deal. And I was like, what the heck? (laughs) So, you know, whatever. So, um, so, so i pursued some different things in town and like I continued to try to promote myself as a session singer and um tried to reach out to some jingle uh studios that you know i write and perform jingles and some of that uh a myriad of different things started to be landlords and uh renovate some properties, <laughs> so, all this, you know, cause, mainly musical, though, trying to, you know, co-write, you know, do the songwriter thing and see which thing popped. And then um, eventually, after a few years here, um, the guy that managed our band, that managed Fighter, introduced me to Tom Jackson Uh, who he was good friends with, and he had told Tom, you know, Amy was always a great performer. I think she'd be good at what you do because he was looking to add some people on because he was just getting so busy. So that's how I met Tom Jackson, and I'd actually heard of him because our band had ordered his first uh, cassette tape (laughs) series that he put out. And uh, I don't think we ever really studied it or anything, which we should have. But um, so I was familiar with him. And so so we met, and Tom, in true California, laid-back style, said, I like your vibe. I was <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, groovy, dude. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I, we – so we started – you know, talking, and then I would, I would critique some live video and to see if I was on the right track. And yep, yep, that's all you, you're. We're tracking. You're tracking with me. Is you know, it's one of his big phrases. But then I would go to rehearsals with him, and he would have me tell him privately what I would do in in a certain with a certain song, and uh, just to see if I was getting it. And so it was just it was a slow kind of morphing into that, but uh, he finally, finally said, you know, you can do this, and let's go. So, um, so it's now uh, myself and Lang Bliss and Tom uh, all doing that. Uh, his teaching his live music method is what he calls it, and that's what the title of his book is too. Um, so yeah, love it. Uh, I've been doing that about 11 years.
1: Wow. Wow. I want to touch back on, um, moving to a music city and mm-hmm. do you feel that, uh, in this day and age that that's still an important factor in, if you want a career in music, I mean, obviously, if you want to be a session player or a songwriter or, you know, behind the scenes industry person, yeah, obviously it's important. You need to move to New York, Nashville, or, or L.A. But if you are an artist, how important do you feel it is to move to a music city?
2: Yeah, it, it's not. If you're an artist, in fact, uh, especially Nashville, you won't. There are very few places that you would actually get paid to play. And I'm <laughs> not sure I could name any. You know, except you know. So you've got to get out of town if you want the paying gigs, but um, yeah, so as an artist, unless you need band members to draw from or whatever, uh, you don't need to be in in Nashville. Uh, in fact, it's better, I mean, I've got a friend that's, I, I was actually fighter's guitar player. He's still up in Iowa, and he he's doing solo gigs at, you know, wineries and private events, and he's that's a great second job he gets paid pretty well so um so yeah in, in his case it, it wouldn't make sense if you wanted to make a living with music to move away from that because he's you know he's the proverbial big fish in a small pond kind of thing uh-huh.
0: so. we'll be right back never has there been a better time for women to hack success The shift is on and the breakthroughs are real. We're taking success to a whole nother level. Join us at the Women's Success Summit, a gathering of dynamic, smart women helping women. We want to learn about you and what you have to offer. Bring your A game and be prepared to transact some business. Oh, and by all means, dress to impress.
1: Register at eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back on the record. Another thing I want to touch on with you that you mentioned is the whole ageism factor. And it seems that it only applies really to women because I'll I'll notice that, you know, it's easier for guys to get old. They're allowed to get old. But for some reason, Mm -hmm. women are not allowed to get old. If you don't mind me asking, how old were you when they were kind of saying, you know, under the sly that that you're too old? I
2: was probably late 30s.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah.
2: So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in yeah, in music terms, that's ancient. Probably, yeah, you but
3: <laughs> you're like you should you know, be dead already at the, by that time. <laughs> cut. The, yeah, really.
2: Country <laughs> world is more forgiving. I mean, if you look at the bands that the country bands that are out there, I mean, it, I mean, those guys are all. Getting up there, but they're you know still playing. You know, like yeah, but like uh, I'm trying to think, Brooks and Dunn or Lone Star, of course, they're, they're kind of faded. But um, the country world was a little more forgiving on that. Um, yeah, but still, yeah, it's starting now at this point because cause labels don't bother to do artist development anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, they can just throw something against a wall if it sticks okay great let's do another one if it doesn't they just move on to the next 14 year old it's just nuts but it's like yeah. crazy cuz you and I know it's like what do you have to say when you're that age you know unless you're Taylor right. Swift and very good at like flushing out your feelings i mean like she she definitely found her audience by doing that and yeah it was awesome but Overall, I mean, you know, so yeah, that could be yeah, a whole, it could be a whole show in itself.
1: <laughs> <sure>. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you know, I I think it's only on the business side, you know. I don't think the general population really cares about how old you are. They care about mm-hmm. does the music touch me? Yeah. Does the music move me? Does it stir some kind yeah. of emotion within me? You know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's crazy because I just, I wonder, like, even even on The Voice, like, The Voice talks about, you know, there actually is no age limit, whereas in American Idol, Mm -hmm. I think the cutoff was 27. But, um, you know, with The Voice, you can be however. But, you know, we were noticing that, like, even the quote-unquote old people who are on The Voice, they get weeded out pretty quick. And, you know, you have to wonder if there's just this kind of subliminal paradigm that's like oh you're old Mm. let's get you out of here you know even though you're great whatever you're old let's get you out of here yeah it's crazy yeah About the whole live um music production. I I love that okay. that whole that's like a that's like a sanitation engineer for, for garbage man, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> Yeah. Well
2: we tried to think uh Tom used to call what he did performance coaching, but that we realized that doesn't encompass everything we do. Hmm. So first of all we okay i'll i'll kinda i'll tell you walk you through the process so that it makes sense um we are like a record producer is in the studio only for the live performance so in other words, we take an artist we we look at their songs okay so i'm I'm listening to an artist's song, and my what I look for is Where's the moment in this song, and how, how best can we tweak the arrangement for live so that it connects? In other words, a record producer in the studio will produce it, a song for uh, radio, but for a live show, you don't have those restrictions. So radio mm-hmm. is, as you probably know, like short intros, let's hurry up and get right to the chorus.
3: People driving
2: on the road, flipping through stations or through, you know, Sirius or whatever, and looking for looking for the tune that you know feels good to drive drive to. But live, an audience there, the audience has different expectations. They don't go to shows just to hear songs. They go to experience moments. Hmm. So that's the big difference. When an artist can understand the psychology of the audience going to a concert and how that's different from listening to a CD at home or their iPod, um, they, it, it, turns, it turns the performance around because you've got to cater to what an audience wants at a live performance. They want. They go for. They go to be captured and engaged. They want to, you know, forget about their life. They want to kind of find out who you are. They want to be totally, in, you know, in that moment. There, Uh, they'll also go to what we call experiencing moments where maybe their hair and their arms raise. They want to laugh. They want to cry. They want to get emotional. They want to shout. They want to jump up and down. So if 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 we can give them. These moments and take them on a Journey they are Captivated Um, If and then Visually okay so we work On what's the what's the right Arrangement for the song live Does this song maybe one song Calls for oh this is an Awesome hook line let's Teach it to the audience and make That Mm -hmm. a fun moment Where they're singing it back to you Uh, You're just having Fun with it Maybe there's a song that's just um, unique from a vocal perspective, and it just stands alone as a musical moment to where maybe you it if, if it's a vocal thing or if it's a <clears throat> a guitar trade off that goes back and forth, and we create this really cool thing, and we will extend arrangements we'll extend a bridge or um a lot of times we lengthen an intro because people need more time to get into the song. Instead mm. of doing it the radio version, they need time live to just, okay, let's just let them feel the groove for a bit, then sing. Not, we, we don't have to jump right in, you know, play a couple bars, okay, now I've got to sing, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, done, next. I mean, I've <laughs> seen so many shows where I'm so frustrated, it just feels like, slow down and let me feel something. But they Mm. don't. They just rush right through it. Um, uh, Part of that
1: could be you only get like 25 minutes to play.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we'll we'll tell bands it's not about, you know, your focus needs to be on what kind of moments you can create, not how many songs you can play in your 15-minute opening set.
3: Mm, If it's
2: one or two songs, You know, if you're creating and building A really exciting moment They will remember that More than, you know That, you know, fourth or fifth song That you tried to squeeze in there (laughs) So So the moments we do are You know, we look for different moments Unique kind of things where If you're a guitar player Maybe on a song for a different moment You pick it, you go to the keyboard Or or you sing something a cappella Or you do a Weird. If you're a rock band, you do a little reggae thing or something that's different. Um, we have touching moments. We look for songs that, you know, that really have a deep message, and those are your, you know, those are the songs people want to cry on, maybe, or they they connect and they think about their own their own loss in their life or something like that. Um, so. All these different moments work to create, you know, an interesting and compelling show. After we've created those, then we go, okay, how should each song look? Because if you're just standing in the same spot all night, not doing anything, it's, you know, people start to check out and all your songs start to sound the same Mm -hmm. because they all look the same. So we just take this each song and go, Okay, does the what I'm hearing, does it make sense for me to maybe I sit on a stool for those touching moments. Um if the song is all jacked up and it's like the five on a scale of one to five, you you know, you need to be working the stage and running around and interacting with the rest of the band members. Um maybe you put the guitar down for a song, you take the mic out of the stand. You're working the stage for one song. Maybe you leave it in the stand. Use the stand as a tool, and you know have fun with that. So it's all and natural movement. We don't do choreography. Um, if it's that kind of a band, they hire a choreographer. So it's not that. But it's just some people, honestly, really have never walked, walked or skipped or run across the stage before. They just. Stay in the center, and and that's it. But there are people. If there's people on both sides of that stage, you're going to connect better. If you go, if you go stage right, and stand there for a bit and deliver a song or part of a song over there, making a connection with those people uh, at the sides. Does that make sense? Mhm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh, the visual thing. Then we help we help artists uh, weave together the right set list that works where do we put all these moments now? How do we string them together to make a really great concert? Um, And then we help them to know what to say to the audience. I mean, help them kind of craft that. Not, Not that you have to have everything memorized and planned out, but if you go, if you step on stage with a plan and having... Prepared everything, then you're gonna to be totally relaxed once you once you get up there, and you can be uh, just totally with the audience and paying attention to them so um I know I've like said a lot of things that maybe don't make sense to you but, um, that's kind of the a a nutshell version of of what we do um and it just I, honestly we've never seen. If an artist applies this stuff, we've never seen it not work. I mean, they will come back to us time after time. It's like, oh, my gosh, the audience just went crazy. I got a standing ovation and, you know, they booked me back right away or, you know, people were totally quiet when I did this or, you know, just – it's just amazing how when an artist will focus on what the audience wants – and pay attention and prepare the show, How what a difference it makes. I mean, they'll see it at the merch table right away, that their sales mm. just go shoot way up.
0: We'll be right back. Never has there been a better time for women to hack success. The shift is on and the breakthroughs are real. We're taking success to a whole nother level. Join us at the Women's Success Summit, a gathering of dynamic, smart women helping women. We want to learn about you and what you have to offer. Bring your A game and be prepared to transact some business. Oh, and by all means, dress to impress.
1: Register at eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back on the record. How do you... Because um, it's like you know, when I go in, <clears throat> when I go in the studio, I mm-hmm. want to have a, a record producer with me, because I don't yeah. want to try to do it all myself. Because it just it turns out so much better when you have those outside influences. Um, sure. And like even my live show, I'm to this day always trying to you know figure out how I can do it better. But you know I'm thinking now as I'm talking with you, it's like well, well I, I need to hire you guys because. <laughs> I can't, I can't look at my, I mean, I can watch videos and go, oh God, I'm so boring there, but I don't know what to do to fix it. You know, (laughs) I'm wondering how did, you know, because you come from a performance side of things um, and I can look at other people and I can see what's not working, but I don't know how to put what would work there. So I'm curious how you get into that. Like I know you said you, you know, you find the mood and the moment in the song, but how are you finding that to be able to then translate that and help the artist that you're working with
2: well there there are certain things that we look for uh, when we're listening to a song and really the three of us may produce a song differently just because of our own musical influences or things that we've done, but there are also a lot of things in common that we look for um, uh, that, that we know always work. So um, it's, it's like producing a song in the studio only, you know, we'll, we'll just get these ideas as, as we're sitting there listening. We usually listen to the songs ahead of time, uh, but not always. Sometimes we're, we just go into rehearsal ask them to play some things. We'll make some notes and then we just start trying ideas. Um, We'll say, you know, let's double that turnaround there and, you know, you know, take your time on that, leave space. Um, And then just depending, we'll find out, Oh, she plays a ukulele too. Oh, let's pick that up here and, you know, try this or try that. So it's a very creative and collaborative process. Once the artist Realizes and kind of sees, you know, what the process is, then they jump in too with ideas and it, it comes it becomes a real collaborative effort. Um, but a lot of times, you know, I'll hear a song, I'll listen to a song, you know, all week and then get to that rehearsal and to see the song live and then what I thought I was going to try goes out the window and I try a whole nother idea. So, <laughs> It's it just I guess it just comes from experience and, you know, producing the producing side in my head. But um but yeah, once once you know some things to look for, uh bridges and intros and turnarounds and those can be kind of the catalysts for for some really cool things to pop out. And sometimes we'll just take a song and maybe it's fully produced on the record and we just say Let's try this acoustic with just bass in a cajon or something, you know, something off the wall. And it is sometimes on paper it sounds oh that'll never work, but <laughs> oddly enough, when you actually try it, it becomes magical and everybody just flips out. You know, hmm. it's it's so much fun. That's why I just love my job because it's always different and it's always creative and fun and yeah, I just, it's, it's amazing.
1: And so when you first started working with Tom, did he like sort of have like a, a course for you to take to kind of develop your skills? Yeah. He, or?
2: Yeah, he has a, uh, a seven DVD set out. On, uh, and then since then he's published a book Uh he's had some, several other DVDs, but, I watched the the d v well he produced that after I was working with him, but he had a his first video set I watched and took notes on and um and then I watched him work live and um learned a lot there um then he would he would come with me and let me let me kind of take charge and then uh, guide me in a different direction if I wasn't doing the right thing but it was it was a pretty easy transition from doing what I was doing into uh to doing the live music producing so it was as if Astrum, that everything I had done up to that point came together in this crazy tornado that all worked together to be a live music producer you mm. <laughs> know I could have never I always say it's the the job I never knew I always wanted. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and it's a much needed job. You know, as I, um, as I look around at bands in town and and watch them perform and it's just like, you you guys got good music, but like, to watch you live, it's, like, boring. Like, I might as well just go home and I listen know. to the record really loud. And, and if you exactly. want to get to the next level, especially as competitive as it is today, the only other place that you can work it is that live performance. And yeah. I think that's where a lot of people are. Either they don't think they need to, or
3: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know, you know, what it would be.
2: We take definitely take the artist's personality and... And really just uh, Take that to the next level I mean your personality Has to be a huge part of it Because that's what's going to make you unique From from the other things And we may teach a lot of the same You know when it comes to the basic A lot of basic principles Those are the same But they'll end up looking different Because of each different artist And their songs and stuff Um, But yeah you're right Like so many artists think, oh, we, you know, we just like to be spontaneous. Well, that typically <laughs> doesn't work. You know, it just looks like you're yeah. unprepared and unprofessional. So,
3: mm-hmm. and it
2: doesn't take away that I think people are scared that it's going to look too fake or plastic or cheesy. But it's only if you don't, you know, the the more you prepare. That way, by the time you get on stage, it's like you don't have to be thinking about it. It's like this is just automatic. This is just going to be a natural flow.
1: work with um the ego because i mean that's i think a lot of that is like oh we don't you know our show's just fine and 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 you know there's a lot of ego in the music yep. world so yep. how how do you guys get around that to to get to the people to well, realize that you know hey you're just going to be improving your show i mean you know
2: well somebody yeah either yeah sometimes management will bring someone to us that's that's tough because it wasn't the band's idea.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: typically, someone in the band um, will be on board, or have heard of us, or realize, "Hey, guys, we really need to, You know, suck it up, and uh, there'll always be that one or two in the band that you're just like fighting the whole time. And <laughs> most of the time, most of the time, we can win them over. But there's been a, there's been a few times where. You know, if they're just really hard-headed, they just won't budge on it, and then you just have to, you know, do your best and say, okay, dude, you rock. Yeah, <laughs> work with the other band me. members
1: so the other band members yeah, look good, exactly. and then that guy looks like a fool, and he's like, oh, maybe I should exactly. listen. <laughs>
2: yeah, you actually look more obvious and stupid and distracting if you're the one just standing there looking at your shoes.
1: Right, you know? yeah, you, yeah
2: it's going to look more natural if you're doing something, you know, at least when it comes to movement, but yeah.
1: um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Even if they just tap their foot, like I I had this one guy in my band, he was a hired gun and overpaid at what I was paying him and just stood there, didn't move, staring at his, his neck the whole time. And I'm like, wow. Like, you almost like take it personally aren't you feeling anything like when you listen to your favorite band do you just sit there stoic and and don't listen or do you like (laughs) rock out i mean you know i I remember when i first you know got into i want to be a rock star thing and I'd come home from school. I'd put on my like Iron Maiden album and I'd pretend like I was Bruce Dickinson. I'd have like my leg up on the bed. Like it was the floor monitor and be rocking out and headbanging and, you know, all this (laughs) kind of crazy stuff. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's why I still do this like 30 years later because music moves me that much, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, I I look at some of these people, why are you doing this? Like, if you're just going to stand yeah. there, like, do you think it's going to get you chicks or what? I mean, the, the chicks are thinking yeah. you're boring, dude. I hate to tell yeah. you, but, you know. I mean, it's um, a shame.
2: I mean, I know someone in, here in town that just they've had incredible opportunities come their way. But the singer is just, he won't, he, This, I mean, we deal with a lot of psychological issues, too. And, <laughs> if you're yeah. humor, no, I mean, not like. I'm not meaning psycho, but if you're too much in your head or too insecure that you think, uh, if my, if, you know, if his literally, if his girlfriend was at a show, he would be a totally different person and not go for it. If she wasn't there, he would go for it some, but mm. yeah, I'm dying to get my hands on him. Cause he could be a, he could just kill as a front person, but
1: yeah. those
2: insecurities come up and haunt people and, and hold you back, and uh, Tom talks about that in his, his book. It's really amazing. You need, I should get you a copy. Um, yeah, definitely. Just goes into that. audience psychology and all that, and getting past those fears that hold us back, and and all that
1: stuff.
2: Stuff you need to know before you even step on stage.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, Amy, unfortunately, we are nearing the end and I've really enjoyed talking with you, but I would like for you to share some final words of wisdom with us, um, either through something you've learned over the years that's inspired you, uh, a lesson learned, whatever you feel compelled to share with us as you send us on our way.
2: Well, one of uh, our main mantras is love your audience. Mm. And that just means giving everything that you've got, for the benefit of the audience, that they, you know, they feel that you care that they showed up. Um, It's, you know, even if you can start by just making eye contact with the audience, um, how many times have you been to a show where you saw the artist? look at you from the stage and it just made a huge impact on you. I talk to people all the time that they can name, they just pop out the name of the artist artists that, that they, they've never forgotten it. Uh, if you can start with just that, looking people in the eye at your shows and really connecting with them, um, loving your audience is first and foremost in what we teach. And that's everything revolves around that. In um, in Tom's live music method, so um, that's what I'd leave you with.
1: Awesome, and I think that can carry over into uh, love yourself. You know, because if, yes. you, if you don't love yourself, right. you're not going to love your audience. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: Right, yeah.
2: right, and people can smell. You know, they audiences are experts at human behavior, and if they sense. They can sense insecurity. They can sense arrogance. Um, you know, we teach artists it's great to have, you know, have some attitude but not arrogance, you know. You can tell yeah. if, an, if an artist doesn't give a rip that you came and if it's all about them. But an artist that has owns the stage and has enough attitude but yet gives to the audience, that's what you want.
1: Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week.